so I just want to uh, recap a little bit on, um, so this is going to, this morning is going to be a part two of last week. If you missed last, not last week, the week before last, if you missed that, um, the part one of this, uh, you can, you can catch that online. I would encourage you to do that. This is going to be the, the second part to that. And what I have titled this series, and this series is going to, well, there's going to be a lot more um, parts to this series. Whenever I have the opportunity, to, and some of the others, like Kevin, have the opportunity to teach on this, uh, we're going to be adding to this series. But I've titled the series Practical Christian Living. I just went back and forth on what, what do I call this, uh, but it just, that made really the most sense, especially after I uh, just took a look at the word. I love to look up words and word definitions and uh, dig into origins of words and things like that. But if you look at a definition of practical, it says this, of or concerned with the actual doing or use of something rather than with theory and ideas. And I just think that's perfect. Uh, And that's what I want this series to be about. It's just practical Christian living. You know, the Bible is very, very practical, and we can treat it that way. And I think that um, sometimes we, um, we, we go too far and forget about um, the actual practical living day-to-day uh, on this earth and what that, that might look like. So that's kind of what this series is, is about. So last week, uh, the first part we had was um, the significance of our work, and that was the first part from weeks back the significance of our work. And then uh, today is the second part of the significance of our words. And uh, just, a, just a very important topic here. So just to recap from, from last week, we talked about that, first of all, there's the foundation, uh, f- the foundation of truth. And all words must rest on this foundation of truth. Without that, there are no bounds for words. People can say whatever they want. Um, truth matters, and without truth, you have nothing. You have hollow, meaningless uh, words. So truth is is so important. We serve a God who is truth. So we looked at that. We then looked at two uses of our words, specifically uh, to do with our words towards God, and those were uh, thanksgiving the giving of thanks, speaking words of thanksgiving to our God, which should be something we do often because we have been blessed so much. And we, we looked at that. And then the other being praise and how to praise our God for who he is, for what he has done, for all of the wonderful things, and how to open our mouths and praise him with our words. So I would encourage you, if you missed that, to, to go back and watch it. Um, and then this, this morning we're going to continue with that and look at a, a few more uses of our words. The next one I want to look at is blessing. Uh, this is something that we actually see a lot in Scripture. And as I mentioned <laughs> excuse me, last week, um, words are mentioned. Words, mouth, lips, tongue, all of that is mentioned so many times in Scripture, and the same goes for specifically the word blessing, uh, to bless, to be blessed, or a blessing. If you are to look at all the variations of that word, whether it's in Hebrew or the word that's used in Greek, you will come up with uh, around 400 occurrences of the word bless or blessing 
uh, in Scripture. That's significant. So this is something that we need to pay attention to. I think we, I think we often hear the word bless. You know, you ask someone, how are you doing? I'm blessed. And that can, that, that's a very valid response. Um, but I do think sometimes we just kind of use the word in a sense in vain in, in, in that we're just kind of, we're not even thinking about it when we use it, you know, oh, bless his heart or, you know, God bless you. And, and there's, so there's many, especially in the South, we, we hear that a lot. There's many uses of the, in just an everyday language, but I think we sometimes fail to stop and really pay attention to blessing and the word bless and what that means according to scripture and what that means to God. And, uh, I think that's that's something that we're going to highlight here, and it will be helpful because this is something that we actually need to be doing more of, not going around blessing people's hearts necessarily, but but actually speaking blessings and blessing people. And, of course, the opposite of this, and as I mentioned in the beginning of this series, I want to focus mainly on the positive of these uses of words, but we're going to look at the opposite, you know, the opposing um, word or, or use of these words as well. So with blessing, the opposite to that would be curse or cursing. And we'll, we'll just look at a few examples of that. But blessings and curses show up very early in Scripture. Um, so really in Genesis alone, you don't get out of Genesis without seeing around 60 occurrences of the word blessing or bless. So just right out of the gate, it's all over the book of Genesis, and throughout Scripture we see this often. So a blessing can be, uh, if you remember, I explained last week we were going to focus on our words, uh, our words towards God. But this week we're shifting to be focused on more our words towards one another. But I said that there was one that actually is both, and that's this here, um, blessing. We can actually, um, blessings can be from God to man, from God to us, mankind. So from God to us, it can be from us to God, blessing God, and it can be for us to one another, man to man, mankind to mankind, blessing one another. Those are the three different uses that we see in, in Scripture. So blessings can come through words, obviously, but they also come through obedience to God's commands. And in the beginning, we see this, God laying out his, his requirements, his conditional statements of what brings blessing and how uh, he wants to bless and he will bless if you meet these criteria. And it's often uh, <clears throat> people try to completely throw out the, the reality of there being conditionals in Scripture. Listen, you can't do that. You're, you're going you're, you're gonna to read the Bible like this if you're going to try to do that. Conditionals are all throughout Scripture, and there's nothing to be um, offended by that at all. We, are, we serve a God who wants to bless us, but he's, he's not going to simply just um, ignore the character and who he is and his principles of, and laws and statutes of life 
and simply let us do whatever without there being consequences. So he has blessings for us when we follow his ways. And he also lays out that there are curses for when we do not follow his ways. And he makes it very clear and uh, really urges us to choose, to choose wisely, to choose blessings, to choose life. So obedience uh, is another way through which blessings will automatically come. And often you'll see that God lays out, uh, uh, here's how blessings will come to you and that he wants to speak blessings over you when we are obedient to his ways. Um, and when you read about the people of Israel, especially when you get into, uh, well, it's not, a, it's not just the law of Moses, but even before that, in the days of Abraham and stuff, he lays out very clearly um, what he expects of Abraham to then receive the blessings that he has promised him. Well, the Hebrew word for bless actually also holds a more literal meaning of kneeling, to, to kneel down, which is, I, I thought was interesting when I started to dig into this word. Uh, and you actually see it used that way in Scripture. It may be used to describe, uh, and I think this is probably how it came about to be associated with, with bless, to, to bless God, because people, mankind, would kneel down before God, kneel before Him in worship of Him and and submission to him, and they would bless his name. They would bless him by speaking a blessing about him or towards him. And, I, and this is actually one of the literal meanings of the Hebrew word that they use, that's used in Scripture for blessing, is to actually to kneel down. You'll even see it used in Scripture to, to describe a, a, a camel or an animal kneeling down. But when used in Scripture, most often it's describing blessing as in speaking a blessing, whether that's speaking a blessing to God and blessing God, blessing His name, or whether it's God speaking a blessing to us, you know, or blessing us, and also us blessing one another. But most often it is um, to do with words. But I do think the, the, the actual kneeling down, the posture, posture is very important to God. I should do a message one day just on posture before God. But this is a good example of how really our posture should be towards God. When we talk about blessing God, we should also be thinking about kneeling before Him in, in hum, humble submission. It's a, you understand that our body language speaks volumes, not only to God, but to those around us, and in, even in, into the spiritual realm. Body language matters in the sense of what your posture is before God. And you see throughout Scripture examples of God's people, God's servants, humbling themselves before Him by putting their faces on the ground or kneeling onto their knees or, or raising their hands to God. Many different ways in which posture communicates to God. And I think when we bless Him, our posture can be a big part of how he is blessed by our worship and adoration of him. And, and, and really, kneeling down is a universal gesture, if you will, of worship and adoration. Whether it's to the Most High God, our God, the only God, or it's to an idol. It is communicating worship and adoration. So 
Uh, it definitely should be part of when we think about blessing God, we think about our posture. So let's, like, let's take a look at uh, some of the examples in Scripture. And most of these that we're going to look at is speaking uh, words that bestow a blessing because um, it's the most common use of blessings. So let's take a look at a few of these. So uh, right out of the gate, Genesis chapter 1, verse 22 says this, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So here we know that he's talking to uh, the first man and woman that he's created, Adam, Adam and Eve, and giving them his instructions, but he's blessing them because he's not just he's not just saying do this. He's saying do this. I am going to actually bless it. Go and be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, fill the waters in the seas and the birds. Let all of creation multiply. And later on, he tells them that you you will have dominion. Mankind will have dominion over these animals. Now go, I will bless you. So. In Genesis, there is a lot of um, blessing, and especially God blessing mankind. Uh, a little further on in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 says this, And I will make of you a great nation. This is talking, he's talking to Abram or Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is, uh, this is very relevant in things that, with what's going on, in, in especially in the Middle East. And throughout Scripture, we'll, we see Abraham, God speaking to Abraham, and God telling Abraham, I will... I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm, I'm going to bless you. And those who bless you and your people, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And he then repeats this not only to Abraham, but to Abraham's son, Isaac. And then not only to Isaac that did he repeat this, but to Jacob, who is then named Israel. He says the same thing. He repeats this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He makes it very clear, very clear that he has given them a land. And he even specks out the borders of this land. And he repeats this again and again, that those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. It doesn't mean that they don't have their own requirements of what brings God's blessings and curses, because they most certainly do. And you see this throughout Scripture when the people of Israel have turned away from God and they turn away from his promises and his commands and the curses that come upon them because of it. And then when they turn back to God, the blessings that come. But God wants blessings for them from the get-go. He says, do, these, do this, follow my ways, obey my commands, my statutes, and I will bless you. And the blessings are incredible. If you read in the Old Testament, it's, it tells all of the blessings that will come with their obedience, but then it also shares all of the curses that will come with their disobedience. Another example is uh, a little further on in chapter 14. You've heard of uh, Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem. This is talking about what, when he came to uh, Abraham. It says, and Melchizedek 
king of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him. So there's a man blessing another man. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, or Abraham, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high. So he goes from blessing Abraham <clears throat> to then now blessing God himself. And bless, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemy, enemies into your hands. All right, uh, another example is in Numbers 22. And this is, if you remember, uh, Balak is the king of Moab. And he goes to this guy named Balaam, who is um, kind of an odd character in the Bible. He uh, seems to have this kind of connection into the, the spiritual realm and knows God as well, but he doesn't seem to serve God only. It's a very interesting character, but he is known, he has a reputation of having power in his words, as Scripture talks about. Uh, power was in his tongue. And this king, uh, Balak, goes to Balaam asking him to bless, or excuse me, to curse these, this nation of Israel, this, these Israelites who were coming into the land to curse them so that he might defeat them. His armies might defeat them because they are very numerous by this time. And Balaam, not wanting to miss out on a good deal of making some money and a profit, uh, he entertains this idea. And interestingly, he actually is planning to do this, but God forbids him. And we're going to just kind of pick up and read this, uh, what this says about this. And it says, come now, this is Balak talking to Balaam, come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. <clears throat> and you read a little further on. God said to Balaam, the one who was asked to curse the people of Israel, God said to him directly, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Because God has blessed them. And... It's, a, it's an interesting account. I would encourage you to read it if you haven't recently, but basically Balak tries again and again. He's wanting to kind of profit from this. The king of Moab offering all these things for him if he'll do this, and God forbids him. And, and Balaam knows if God is saying, no, don't do this, he knows not to cross that line. And now he crossed the line in other ways, but uh, further down. But Basically, he instead of <laughs> excuse me instead of speaking a blessing over the people of Israel, he uh, excuse me a curse over the people of Israel. He speaks a blessing over them, and King this King Balak is so frustrated because he was going to him, wanting him to speak a curse over the people of Israel. But instead, he speaks a blessing over them, and it's just a very interesting story. But the, what's what's interesting, really, what we need to pay attention to. One of the things we need to pay attention to, <laughs> excuse me, in this is the significance of blessing and cursing. This was not thought of as just some 
silly little thing that really has no meaning and has no significance. No, no, this was huge. This king went out of his way to go and to court and try to persuade this Balak to speak a, a curse over the people of Israel because it was known that there were power in especially this guy's words. And God never discounts that in this, in this story, never discounts that. He just says, no, you won't curse them because they are blessed. And so it's important to recognize in Scripture the significance of blessing and cursing, of speaking a blessing over someone and speaking a curse over someone. We move on to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 33. It says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And in uh, New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're blessing God, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, I mean, this is just a tiny, tiny sampling. If you do a study on blessings and curses, you will, it, it'll be a long study for you, and it's, but it's worthwhile. It, it is so prevalent in Scripture, and I think that sometimes we've uh, made the mistake of not paying more attention to this, uh, this reality and this principle. And so I'm hoping that this brings it to the surface a little bit more for us. <clears throat> so, blessing God, as we've seen examples of, and also blessing other people with our words is something we really, really should implement more and more in our daily lives. Uh, and we should make, make sure that we are actually speaking blessings and not curses. James addresses this and how this should not be the case. Uh, he says this in James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. He says, talking about the tongue or the mouth, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So this is James making this, uh, this point that as the people of God, as followers of Christ, we should not be blessing God and then turning around and cursing people. And this shouldn't be pouring forth from us, from within, out of our mouths. So this does happen a lot. We might be uh, praying to the Lord. We might be in church on Sunday, and we're speaking blessings. We're speaking uh, praise to our Lord. And then we, we leave here, and, and on the drive home, we're talking to our wives and gossiping and backstabbing somebody at church that's ma made you mad and saying this or that about them, and we end up speaking curses over this person. And this is the kind of thing that James said, this, is, this should not be so. 
This, this should not be coming out of our mouths, the, the blessings and the curses. Now, there, there are times when a, a Christian, a, a follower of Christ, might speak a curse. Jesus himself spoke many curses. If you go and read the, the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, blessed are you know, the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are all those blessings, he's speaking blessings over those people. And then he moves on to speak curses. Every time you see, woe unto you, woe unto those are curses. He's speaking curses. So there are times when he, he spoke a curse on, um, I think it's Sidon and um, Tyre, two cities that he cursed that were destroyed later. He also gave an example of cursing when he cursed the fig tree. So there are times, and, and after cursing the fig tree, he, he then used that as a teaching moment for his disciples to explain to them. There are times when we speak a curse over something or we speak for something to be rooted up and moved. I... I Oh, I had planned not to share this story, but I'm going to share it. Um, and it's, it's happened a while back, and I did not kind of write this out to get it fresh in my mind, so I'll do the best I can. But just to, just to use as an example, um, I uh, knew a guy here in Greenville, and we, uh, he was, we got to talking about a, a story he, he shared with me. And that, let me just share what the story is, and you, you can take away from it what you want, but... He lived not far from here, um, and he lived near a, uh, he basically had a um, restoration story of God bringing him out of um, sexual addiction and pornography and all that. And God gave him a uh, kind of a, a, an authority in that area to help, help other guys get out of this and help minister, and he would bring people into his path to um, help and to minister to, and uh, he he shared this story with me one time, and I was uh, blown away by it. But he lived near a uh, a strip bar or um, adult dance place, whatever you want to call it these days, not far from here. And he told me he said when I, you know, God brought me out of this and began and he put my feet on a, a different path and on solid ground. He started bringing me people to. Uh, to, to minister to them and help them. I, again and again, I would, I would see the effects of this, this particular uh, strip joint. And the, not only the, the men who were being, um, in cap, were being held in captivity to it and that type of lifestyle, but the, but the young ladies who were going to it as well, who were stuck in this cycle of um, dancing for money and, um, and, and doing that and, and not able to get out of this and and he said, David, I, I got this righteous anger about it. And for some reason, uh, God started highlighting to me this verse and story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. And Jesus telling, the, the saying to his disciples, teaching them, look, you can say to this mountain, be uprooted and cast into the sea. And it'll be done if you believe. And he said, I don't know if... Maybe God just gave me a gift of faith or what, but I, I felt led to speak a curse over this facility, over this establishment. And he said, I, you know, I question, is that really you, God? And, and 
but the more I thought about it, the more I thought about the people who were directly put into my life who were being impacted by this place and, and, and negatively um, you know, pulled down by this place and kept in bondage by this place. And I thought, what? why, would, why not consider that? A mountain that's in the way of these people trying to have freedom. A mountain that's in the way of God's purposes being pushed forward in, in my, my area, in my neighborhood. And he said, I know this sounds crazy. Of course, I'm okay with crazy. He said, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I felt led to do. He said, I began, he told me, I began going to this establishment. Now, I, not into it, but like in the parking lot or the buildings next door. So I never, I never stepped foot right in the parking lot, definitely not in the building, but I would go back behind this building or in a field next to this place or even pull up in my car and just stop on the side of the road near this place. And I would roll down my windows and I would pronounce a curse over this establishment. I didn't curse any people, any specific person, but I spoke with all the faith that I had for this establishment to be uprooted and to stop and for there to be a curse upon it and any other business that goes into that building with the same motives and purposes that that curse will remain on that place. And he said, it's the craziest thing I, I would have to you know, kind of, you would tell me I would have to look around and make sure there's nobody like nearby or whatever, because I, I would speak this out loud. said, I figured it doesn't do any good to think it in my mind and my heart. I needed the spiritual realm to hear what was being proclaimed and what was being said. And, and I would go there fairly regularly. Uh, I, could, I could walk there and I would go to a parking lot behind it, he said, even when I would drive by on the interstate, I'd roll down my window and re-announce the curse that I had spoken over this place. And he, say, he said that, you know, I did this for months, not every day, but if I was on a walk in that area or if I felt led to do it, I would drive over there and I'd do it. Oftentimes I would get mad about something that I knew someone was struggling with or someone was being pulled back into sin, and I would go over there and I would speak this curse over this place. And he said, he, this was when he was back visiting, but he had moved, so he had to move out of the area. And he said, when I was out of the area, even when I would come back into the area and visit, he said every time I would drive by, he said every time he would drive by, he would roll the window down and repeat it. And he said, I, I can tell you, I don't, this may be nothing. But after I had moved, I said I began reading news articles of this, this establishment and the problems that they were having, legal problems. The police getting involved, the investigations going on, um, the business was basically uh, uh, going, becoming a mess. And... A long story short, you can go and you can look at this building. It's still right off of 385. And it is not what it used to be. 
Now, I heard that story and I was like, hmm, I'm sure there was a lot of people praying against that place. But I will say this. I got involved with an organization called SWITCH that we, many of you know of in this uh, area. Uh, and s the purpose of SWITCH is to help get young ladies and, and women out of that industry. And the way they would do that is they would go to the places. And uh, I was involved, in the, and the men didn't do this. We had a different role, mostly with prayer while this was going on. But the women would actually go into the establishments and, sh and start relationships with these young girls. And they created an incredible relationships and trust with these young ladies in an attempt to get to know them and to begin sharing Christ with them. But I will say this because I went to several and did this with them, and never once did they pray against these places in the way that this guy was describing to me. They would come together and pray and huddle together away from the place and pray, but they would pray for the young ladies, they would pray for... Um, you know, for God to, to, to move on their hearts and all of this, but never would they pronounce a curse over a place like that or even pray for that place to be shut down. Never. And I did it quite a few times with them, and just it didn't happen. So I can say probably there was not too many people in Greenville, South Carolina, going over to that place, standing in the parking lot next door, or rolling their window down in the car, and speaking a curse over that place. So, take from that what you will. My point in this is that Scripture tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. And how you wield it is going to be the fruit that you reap from it. And Jesus demonstrated to us that there are times when we use our words to come against the gates of hell. And he says that the gates of hell shall not prevail as we come against it. And I wouldn't recommend that necessarily for anyone to just go and do because I think there's spiritual implica implications when you engaged in that, type, in that type of warfare. But I believe that perhaps this, this man had been called to that task and had the faith to actually carry it out. As silly as it may have seemed to anybody who would have heard him doing it. But um, Jesus had nothing to, he, he was not ashamed of what he did to a fig tree. And I think that removing a mountain like that is even more significant than a fig tree that's not bearing fruit. So I think God made his, his point clear that those are things to consider. So, sorry, I, I sidetracked a little bit on that. I just wanted to share that story. I thought it was interesting and relevant to um, what we talked about here. So we have the power to speak life into those we love. And, and I wonder, why do we neglect that so much? God gives us the power to speak life into, those, into the lives that, uh, of those we love. And we should really examine our words that are coming out of our mouths to see whether they are speaking life or death, blessings or curses. If we find they are speaking death and curses, especially to those we love, then we should take action and start changing the way we speak. Now, this is especially important 
especially important to parents. We have, we have a lot of new parents in our church and growing families. Listen, I can't stress this enough for you parents. And anyone who's lived life long enough knows the, the effects of words and the effects that your parents' words can have on you. Sometimes, and I spoke on this a little bit more two weeks ago, but sometimes we don't even realize it until later in life how much they affected us. And so, parents, now is the time to really examine this in your own life and examine the words that you're speaking over your children. Look, it's so easy to just carry on the, the same type of um, words that were spoken, to, to repeat the same kind of words that were spoken over us by our parents. It's very easy to do that. And it's easy to create habits of how we speak. This goes not only for parents towards your children, but spouses towards one another. And, and we can actually choose to break this cycle. Instead of speaking words um, that, are, that are tearing down, words of death, we can speak words of life in our own homes. We can bless those in our household. So the question is, do you want blessings for your children or for your spouse? If you do, then speak them over one another. I'll never, and this goes for grandparents too, which I am loving being a grandparent. Don't miss the opportunities to speak a blessing over your grandchildren. Sometimes when I'm holding my little Elsie uh, or Forrest and I'm walking around with them, I'm just speaking a blessing over them. I'm just speaking words of life, speaking it out loud, words of life over them, blessing over them. I'll never forget, I was at a volleyball tournament watching my, uh, one of my daughters play on the volleyball team in this tournament. And I'm sitting in the stands. And listen, this is high school volleyball, okay? I want to put that in perspective. High school volleyball. It's actually a high school homeschool volleyball tournament. Now, you chuckle, but we hurricanes dominated in our... So I just, you know... We were, we were good. Anyway, but I'm at this volleyball tournament, sitting in the stands, watching my daughter and the team. And I can't even remember if it was early in the tournament or what. And they're not playing too, too good. They haven't found their, their groove yet, their mojo. They're just still trying to find that. And so it's probably um, earlier on in the tournament. But they did something, made a mistake, and maybe made one other mistake. And this gentleman next to me, who is obviously a grandfather of one of the players, turns to me, and I kid you not, says, if they keep playing like this, they're going to be failures in life. <laughs> I am absolutely dead serious. I'm sitting there, and I, and I get this, and I'm like dumbfounded <laughs> that this just came out of this man's mouth. And I gather myself, and I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're going to turn this around. But listen, that is, is funny, but this happens in people's lives all the time. A parent or a grandparent speaking a curse over their children or their grandchildren. Now, you, you, you may think that that's, oh, that's kind of, that's silly. It's not silly. 
Words have power. And we should be careful about what we speak over our loved ones, especially. And this man was in the wrong. And I, may, I wondered how many words, curses, and words of death he has spoken over his children and now his grandchildren. Listen, that should not be coming out of our mouths. It should not. God does not think it's funny when we speak that way. Now, can we take this too far in in monitoring what we say? Yes, but I think we have a long ways to go before we get there. I think there's way more that we can change that needs to change. Listen, you, you can... I would much rather be a person who, who thinks everything is good and jolly and better roses and speaking positive words all the time than one who's speaking death and negativity and curses and stuff. I, I, and I struggle with that because I'm a very black and white person. I can be very critical. But I've decided that I'm going to do all that I can to change the way that I speak and the words that come out of my mouth. Now, this, is in, this, is, this is important, and we, we think it means nothing, but it, it, it means something. Do you, you know, God hates uh, when we go to uh, fortune tellers or diviners or people who you know, want to tell your, your future, or, you know, use tarot cards or whatever, tarot cards or whatever. God has forbidden that from us, for us to do that. He's forbidden it. Because he has his future, our future planned out for us. He has a plan. He holds that future. And he wants us to go to him. When we go to another one of these people, it is, a, it is spiritual adultery. And he's made that very clear in the scripture. But uh, he never discounts the reality of it. You understand that when we go to a fortune teller or a diviner of some sort, they are in touch with the spiritual realm, no doubt. It's just the problem is they're in touch with the wrong side of the spiritual realm that we, that we want to be associated with. So when you go in one of those places, you know, I don't want us to think that, oh, that's just silliness, that's all fake, nothing real about it. No, 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 no. It's not the case at all. And Scripture never tells us that. These people who do this are in touch in, with the spiritual realm. It's just they're in touch with the realm, the, the side, that, the dark side. And so when, when someone goes into that, they're probably bringing in their familiar spirits, the spirits that, the demonic spirits that know their lives very well and have been a part of their families for a long time. And they go into this place where this person has given all authority over the kingdom of darkness. They have invited in the powers of darkness into their business, into, their, to, into what they do. And so we go into that place. When someone goes into that place, they are submitting themselves to that authority. And, of course, there's going to be communication. In the, and this is, listen, nothing that I'm going to say right here is in Scripture. Okay, so I'm not teaching this as doctrine, but I'm teaching this as logical thinking. You take spirits in with you, 
they know you're not following after God in what you're doing. They come in with you. This person is in touch with the spiritual realm. There's going to be some communication going on. So when a diviner says something that shocks a person, like, how did you know that? How could you know that? There's no, I've never met you. There's no way you could have known that. That's the, it, it's, it's easy to see how they come up with the stuff that they, they can know, just in the same way that when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can speak to us and give us divine revelation or knowledge about someone that we would have no way of, of knowing. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Well, this functions on the dark side as well. And so what ends up happening is this diviner, this fortune teller, is you're paying them to do what? Tell your future. Give you a fortune. Tell you something that's going to happen. So they speak aloud these words of whatever it might be. It might be good, someone you're going to meet, some romantic relationship you're going to have, some way of prospering, or it might be something bad. Something's going to happen to you. Something, someone's going to die in your life. But what they are speaking is not God's plan. It's what Satan wants to make your path. And oftentimes they're speaking a curse over a person. And it is up to that person whether or not they're going to come into agreement with what that has been spoken. And most of the time, if the person is there to begin with, they're already ready to be in agreement with it. So they then come into agreement with what was spoken, and now the words have real power because you've submitted your life to them. You've agreed with them. And the kingdom of darkness is very happy to carry that out. And you've forsaken God's ways. You've turned to your own way. And you see how that progresses and turns into either, yes, something good really did happen, what that person said. That does happen. It's not the kind of good that you want, though, where something terrible happens because of the curse that was spoken over that person's life that you've come into agreement with. None of that was in my notes. But that is a reality that I want us to be aware of because this can happen not only in a fortune teller's house or office. This can happen in a doctor's office. This can happen... In to someone who speaks some kind of curse over you. Listen, I am not bashing doctors and modern medicine and science. Please hear me when I say that. But God has the final say in your health. God has the final say in your destiny, in your future. Not the doctor, not a, a, the president, not a government. None of these people will determine that. God will determine that. So when these things are spoken over you, please be careful not to receive them and come into agreement with them if that's not how God has led you. So we just have to be very careful and wise about that. <clears throat> so reject these. When a curse is spoken over you, you have a choice to accept or reject. Reject it. You just speak Against it, reject it. No, I don't receive that. No, I will not die. No, no, no these, these high school volleyball players are not going to be failures in life because they missed that ball. No. 
No, they're going to turn things around. They're going to do well. Speak words of life. And they're going to enjoy doing it. And they're going to build friendships. And they're going to honor God in how they play. And they're going to honor God in how they, they applaud their teammates and how they applaud the other team. No, no. Speak words of life. Listen, we don't, we don't have to tolerate that. If, if nothing else, just get up and walk away. If you don't have the boldness to say something, just leave. That communicates enough right there. We don't have to stand around and be a part of that. God is listening to our words. I'm going to have to speed through this last part. The last part I wanted to look at, that was, um, I, got, I got two more. <laughs> One is uh, edification. So edification is, if we look at a definition, is the building up in a moral and religious sense, instruction, improvement, and progress of the mind and knowledge in morals or in faith and holiness. By the way, I got that from the Webster's Dictionary, the first edition from 1828. Starting to cherish some of those old texts much uh, more and more. So you can get to this online if you want to see what things used to mean. So uh, edification, that's what, that's what that's talking about. So this is an important use of our words for the sake of the body of Christ, as, as well as making disciples. And if anyone's going to disciple others and teach others or just, just help in growing uh, them up in Christ, then this is a skill that we must commit to learning and learning how to do it well. This is, this is not just a matter of um, telling someone what is right or wrong or simply quoting scriptures to them. We've ha- we have to learn to do this well, do this with excellence. And, and first and foremost, it has to be done with love and with humility and a non-judgmental spirit. Look, some of us need to hear this. A non-judgmental spirit. Because when this is falsely done, listen to this. When this is falsely done under the influence of a religious spirit, understand, when I say a religious spirit, I'm talking about an unclean, demonic religious spirit. And these are at work in many, many uh, religious establishments. But when this is falsely done under the influence of a religious spirit, the real purpose becomes not to build up, but to control. And the damage from this can be terrible. This is what the Pharisees were constantly doing under the pretense, listen, the pretense, which is false, the pretense of outward holiness and conformity as the goal. And, and listen, right here in Greenville, South Carolina, this, this is rife. There's a lot of religious spirits in this area looking to control, not to edify, not to build up, not to bring about holiness from within that then flows to without, but to force holiness from without on the outside. It's a, it's a controlling spirit. And it's, it controls through religion, through churches, through pastors and other leaders in churches, or just your, your nice old church lady sitting in the pew. But man, can she manipulate, dominate, and control because she's operating with the influence of a religious spirit in her life. And this stuff gets passed on again and again in families. 
and in churches and denominations. So this is not what edification is talking about. This is a false side of edification. True edification will, um, well, it would be true to God's ways and his scripture. So let me just, just a few examples. Uh, Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, the mutual building up of one another. Romans 15, 2 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up or to edify him. 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5 says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, but they utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening encouraging and comfort, edification. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. See, the whole goal of what Paul is saying here is, yes, yes, desire spiritual gifts, pursue them, ask for them, but use them for the purpose of building up the church, not, not for yourself, except for speaking in tongues. is a way of edifying yourself. It's a way of communicating your spirit with God's spirit and building up of yourself. But in church... It's more appropriate to speak words that are understood, not words of, of mystery. That's between you and the Lord, but unless, unless it's interpreted, then it serves the same purpose as prophecy. So the point here that Paul is saying is do these things in order to edify, to build up the body, to, to encourage and build one another up. So you're speaking things that are going to whether it's to, to encourage someone and build them up or to reveal their sin. He talks uh, also about the, someone coming into a service and hearing uh, someone prophesy and things are revealed about them that this person knows busted and falls on her knees in humility before God and repents. That can be a useful way of using the gift of prophecy. But it's, the point is to build up, to strengthen, and to draw someone closer to God. Ephesians uh, 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from, the, from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. All right, I'm going to skip some of these. <clears throat> the last thing I wanted to mention is encouragement. And this encouragement is huge. Uh, this, if, if there was anything I could pick to become more prevalent in today's churches, it would probably be this. And one of the reasons is because I have experienced the, the reality of how this can impact a person. We are so blessed to have people right here in this body who operate in this. It can be a gift or it can just be something that we have learned to hone and get better at. But we have people in this church who, who operate in this, the gift of, of encouragement, who know how to encourage people. And I cherish this. I cherish it. 
And if you have been one who has received encouragement from someone else, you, you, you can understand what I'm talking about. This can, can mean the world to someone. If you look at a definition of encouragement, it says this, the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. Like This is huge and hugely important, especially in today's world, today's culture and society. Things are so discouraging. So, I mean, the mental health problems, all of this is just because of all that we're dealing with in, in today's world and society and the enemy being against us and people being against us. And just so encouragement is huge. When someone takes the time to give you support and confidence and hope, this is huge. And we need to learn how to do this well, do this with excellence. Now, some of you are already doing this with excellence, and I applaud you. I thank God for you. I'm serious. And some of us need to practice this more and learn how to get better at it because this is how we, we build this body up. This is how we encourage one another. We learn how to, to speak encouragement, whether you're speaking it out of your mouth or you're writing it or whatever, but words of encouragement. This is so important. There's so many scriptures that give examples of that. I'm, just, I'm not going to be able to cover them this morning. Um, but we do see examples in the New Testament of Paul sending people like Titus and Tychicus and uh, Onesimus to go to these churches and places where they've established a church and to encourage them and to go and report and to, to give them good words of life and encouragement. Obviously, they were good at that, and they trusted these brothers to go and do that well. The last thing I want to mention of words and how we can use them is the, is the ones we commonly know as faith, hope, and love. To be able to, you know, the opposite of this would be doubt, despair, and disobedience. Uh, I say disobedience because love, loving God, the opposite of loving God is disobeying God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. God from the very beginning says, if you love me, obey my commands. And Jesus repeats this again and again. So when I say love God, you're, you're obeying him. So the opposite of that would be disobedience. But God expects his people to have faith, hope, and love towards him. Faith and hope in him and, and what he has said and love for him that is expressed in obedience. And the last thing I want to... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read this example, but there's just a very powerful example with the people of Israel. Uh, it goes back to Numbers where I, I told you to read that other example. But this is in... So if you'll just jot this down, I really want you all to read Numbers chapter 14. And it's when the people of Israel have come to the promised land. It's time to go in and take possession of the land that God has given them. And it's what happens. And, and I, I will, the reason this is powerful, the reason this is powerful is because the words that they speak are actually what ends up coming about. And unfortunately, out of the 12 spies who were sent into the land, 10 of them said, no, we cannot possess the land. There's giants there. There's too many there. We can't do it. We'll end up dying. Let's go back to Egypt. We should have just died there. We should have just died in the wilderness. Would we have died in the wilderness rather than face these people? And they spoke it out of their mouths. And it says the congregation of people agreed with them and they began to grumble and murmur. 
And only two did not agree. Only two, well, three if you count Moses, but two of those 12 spies did not agree. It was uh, Joshua and Caleb. They were of a different spirit, and they spoke different words. And God was so frustrated and angry with their disobedience and their turning against him. He says it. The congregation was against him, and he calls them a wicked congregation. And they spoke those words, and God said, I will, I will make those words happen. Exactly what you spoke will come to pass. And not only did the ten spies die immediately from a plague that he put upon them, but everyone, all of their children, all, of, all the women, all, every, had to turn around and go back to the wilderness. And he said, everyone of a, of a certain age who was a part of this, complaining and turning against God, will die in the wilderness. They will not enter the promised land. It is one of the saddest stories that you can read in, in the Bible. But it's, it's there, and it's there for us to learn from it. And the reality of what they said, and God was listening, would grieve God so it angered him greatly because of all that he had done for them. They get to the very end and they turn against him in that way and choose not to believe him and choose, say they want to go back to where he had just delivered them from and, and being enslaved, that they would rather have died in the wilderness. It, it was they went way too far with their words. And it's something that we need to read and really let it sink in so that when we speak, we can speak from faith, hope, and love, meaning obedience to God's commands. Speaking words from faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You're not going to see, if you could see it, if it was there in front of you, you don't need faith to believe in it. Faith is for those things you can't see, you don't have yet. We have to learn how to operate in faith and speak words in faith and to be a people of hope. God takes this very seriously. He wants us to be a people who speak from faith, hope, and love and all of these other things. So let's, let's bow our heads because I want to I wanna end with this. And you can bring the lights down. I want to give anyone an opportunity, just from right where you are, to ask God two things. To ask God to cleanse your lips, to cleanse your tongue from the, from the ways that it has been that it has failed. And listen, there should be no one in this room who doesn't qualify for that. But if you want God to cleanse your mouth from the things you've said in the past, and then secondly, if you want it to change. Now listen, this is between you and God. And so it's completely up to you if you want this or not. But here's what I want to do with every... Head bowed, eyes closed. If you want to say and be in agreement with this prayer, and this prayer will be coming from you to God, if you want to be included in this prayer, then I want you to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around, but just slip your hand up so that 
God sees those who want, who want to pray this. And you can put it back down. All right, if you're one of those people, then I want to pray. And I want you to just pray in your hearts and in your minds to God concerning this. Father, you have helped us to see, again, the, the significance of our words. And Father, um, I, I wanted to give everyone an opportunity to call out to you for help with this. Because we do not want to grieve you with our words, and we do not want to be against you with our words. God, we want to be people who speak blessings and who speak life over others, especially over our loved ones and one another, and God, towards you as well. So God, I ask that you would honor this. You've seen every hand that slipped up. You know every heart here. And God, I ask that right now, you would grant us this, Father, that you would cleanse our lips. Every person who wants this, God, I ask that you would honor this request and that you would cleanse our lips, that you would cleanse our mouths, our tongues. Cleanse us from all the things we have said in the past. Cleanse us from the way that we have developed habits of speaking death or speaking uh, doubt, of speaking curses. God, cleanse us from that, we ask. We ask that you would cut us off from any effects of those things in the name of Jesus Christ. I render those, the power in those negative words, I render them powerless in the name of Jesus Christ. I break the power of those words that have been spoken. And Father, I ask that through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, you would now cleanse our mouths, our tongues, our lips. And Father, for going forward, I ask on behalf of all of these now and myself that you would change us, that you would help us to pay attention and recognize the words that we have been speaking and to change. God, prompt us, prick our hearts, nudge us. When they come out, when they slip out, God, don't let it go by with us not noticing. Bring it to our attention so that we can make it right. Father, help us change our habits of how we speak. Help us to hold the significance of our words with great importance. As you have clearly shown us, they are. God, change us. Help us to do this. We want to be different in how we talk. We want to honor you and please you in the words that we speak. Grant us this, I ask, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of your heart.
Of my heart. 